Uh, I want to read uh, for us, just because, man, what a, we didn't meet in person last week, so maybe you didn't get to read these verses. I did a whole two verses last week. In Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, I just want to read these because because this continues on into today. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Those two verses are absolutely incredible, aren't they? And, and, and I just, I absolutely love it because what it tells us is the gospel is the power of God. It, it, it is his power and word and action coming together to transform lives. And so uh, the gospel is the power of God. And then we also uh, read about there this, this righteousness that's revealed to us by God, this righteousness that's been given. And so in light of uh, verses 16 and 17, we, we, we're stuck asking, why must the righteous live by faith? And then why is a righteousness that's received the only way to have right standing with God, right? Those are the natural questions. And so uh, Paul is going to spend uh, from chapter one, verse 18, all the way to chapter three, verse 20, unpacking uh, why we need God to give us righteousness. He's gonna unpack all of these things that are in us that are, in opposition to the will of God. And he's going to address them all. And I think the reality that all of us need to know this morning is until I know I'm a sinner, I cannot appreciate the salvation God offers in Jesus. Right? Until I realize that, and it's funny because we like don't want to say that. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to, you know, tell someone else, hey, you're a sinner. Like, Nobody wants to do that, and I'm not suggesting you just walk up to somebody and say that, okay? That's not. But we, we almost avoid it to the point where it's like, well, why do they need salvation? Right? And so Paul is going to make us aware of the situation we're in that has created this disconnect right? This bridge between us and a perfect and holy God. And so in verse 18, this is what he says. He starts with four. And, and so it's a continuation of what he's just said. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Okay, so, so once again, this flows out of what we read in 16 and 17, and Paul is showing us that the gospel is necessary because we're facing the wrath of God. Now, many struggle with this concept of, of God's wrath, but we must remember, this is so important, that God's wrath isn't this wild emotional outburst. 
Hey, that's not his wrath. God's wrath is a righteous wrath, just like his anger is holy. And what we have to remember is that God, who is perfect in every way, even when he's demonstrating his wrath, is demonstrating perfect love at the same time. Even when he's demonstrating his wrath, he is still a God who is the complete and fulfilled and perfect version of grace and mercy as well. So when he's acting in this way and God responds, he's not detaching himself from his other attributes. He is still in his wrath. He is just. He cannot do anything that is not righteous. And so we need to understand and know that it's different from you and I, right? Because our wrath is what? An out-of-controlled response, right? Is you've lost all logic and you're mad and you just want to deliver. And, and so that is not God's wrath. We continue to project our attributes onto God and God is like, no. God's wrath, Paul says though, is a present reality. You need the gospel because God's wrath is a present reality. It's being revealed. It's seen now and, to, and today. And, and usually when we talk about and think about God's wrath, we think about it in either a past tense or a future judgment, right? We either think back to the flood, uh, to fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, or we look ahead and we go, book of Revelation, Right? That's typically what happens when we think of uh, God's judgment, his wrath. And, and, and so it leads us to ask, why is it being revealed and how is it being revealed? He says his wrath is in response to ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, the first there, this ungodliness, that is speaking to a disregard for God a disregard for honoring God, a disregard for trusting God and obeying God. And the second refers to a disregard uh, of God's will for humanity, right? And how I deal with other people, even myself, right? It's a, it's a breaking of what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. You guys, those are completely connected because you can't love other people in the way God has designed it to be if you don't have a proper view of who God is. So they're connected. And, and, and so these two ideas, they speak to the same problem, which are essentially attacking the glory of God. Now, we may ask, how can God hold somebody accountable for not knowing a God they've never heard of? Right? Like, like how can we hold them accountable for not knowing a God that they've never heard of? I get asked that question so often. Uh, often when someone passes away or, or, or a situation like that, and, and, and people will ask me about this. And, and honestly, uh, I, I go back to these verses right uh, here, because Paul says, everyone does know better, because they do know the truth and suppress it, he says. They knew because God has made himself plain to them since the creation of the world. You guys, creation shows us 
that there's a God of eternal power and divine nature. Amen? I mean, I don't know. You go out, like, it's, it's crazy, right? And, and so these facts about God aren't hidden in creation. It's not like, hey, let's go on a safari and uncover these things that go, wow, there's a God. Like, no, it's been revealed uh, throughout creation. They're clearly seen. Uh, Psalm 19, uh, 1, it, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I mean, are, are you guys seeing these images that that web telescope is putting out there? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, it, it, it's like, how? No way, it's bigger. Like, like, so not only has creation spoken to it, but we're continuing to be more amazed at creation. The more we learn, the more is pointing to, oh my goodness, this is, this is incredible. I, I, I don't even know what to do with this, right? Like, like how did uh, that uh, happen? And we're like, well, I know. I know how it happened. It's crazy how that points to God. I mean, even you think about uh, scientists who study this, and, and, and it's like, well, this happened. Well, how? And I don't know. Like, what is the cause? What is the cause? So the word evident among them or plain to them What's so interesting about this is it can also be translated within them. So the knowledge is plain to them because it's plain in them. There is this, there's this sense of God in the conscience of all image bearers of God. There is this, this, this uh, place within us there's this reality that there is something beyond what I can explain, even beyond what I can see that is happening here. It is a reality uh, that we talk about. And, and, and so this is literally saying that it, it's in us. There is this consciousness that, that, that is in us about the almighty, all-powerful creator, uh, God. And, and you hear people talk about this, right? I was reading a, a story, a, a news article of this accident that happened uh, north of LA uh, on the grapevine, and this uh, family was traveling in an RV, and 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 the the husband needed a break really quick, went to the back of the RV. His wife took over. She fell asleep and turned it, and and then the RV. He flew out of the RV into the other side of the freeway into oncoming traffic, and he lived. And there's like dash cam footage, and you're like. And he lived, and they, they interviewed him, and he's like, there was a higher power. There was a higher power. There was no way else for him to explain that. There's something. He says, there's a higher power. And you guys, we, we can't know everything about God from creation, but we can, and we do deduce that whoever created all of this must be a being of unimaginable greatness. But then it says, we suppress that truth. We suppress it. 
In other words, people knew the truth. They, they knew, man, there is, this is pointing to a God. They, they knew that truth, but they didn't allow that truth to work in their lives. They, they push it down. I've had so many conversations with people, uh, and I, I love talking to scientists about, about this kind of stuff too. And, and, and we're talking, and, and, and I literally get to the point where I'm like, you're trying to not believe what I'm telling you now. Like, that's your purpose now. We're not even trying to say, hey, hey, you're, you're actively going, I don't want to believe that. And that's how it happens, you guys. Like, uh, man, I tell people this too. Like, well, if God just did that, I would believe. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Look at what already he's done. Walk outside, look up. Well, it's Eugene. Well, okay, let's travel a little bit. Let's go to Ben, then look up, right? <laughs> And, and it's amazing. People always ask me, well, how do I start sharing my faith? And I'll be like, walk outside and just tell them to look up, look around. Start with that. Because by the authority of God's word, there is something in them that they're trying to push down that is telling them he's real. They are image bearers of a divine and perfect God created by him. You don't just go, eh. Right? No, there's something there. And so when I read these uh, passages, um, I, it motivates me. I am more motivated to help people connect the dots to what is going on uh, that they can't explain or they don't want to explain that they're pushing down. And I want to free them with the message of the gospel. So this inspires me. He says, he says that these individuals, uh, they suppressed the truth. They knew the truth, but they didn't allow it to work in their lives. They suppressed it. Why? Why do we suppress the truth, you guys? We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. We suppress it because we want to live how we want to live. We're afraid of what it might cause me or ask me to do or sacrifice. And so there is a decision to reject it. And so Paul says, in light of that, we are without excuse. There's no excuse. And then he keeps going. In verse 21, uh, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Okay, so, so they knew God, he says, but they didn't want to honor him or thank him as God. And, and so instead of being thankful for all that he'd given them, they refused refuse to thank God or give him the glory that he deserves. Uh, but it is amazing how humanity is willing to use the gifts of God, right? Oh, we love being able to think and operate and physically doing things and, and navigating all these things and, and the skills and the giftings and all of that. Uh, you know, we, all those things, man, we, we, we love to use his gifts. We love to travel. We love to do all of these uh, things. We love to use those things, but we're not willing to worship or praise him for those gifts. And the result is, he says, intellectual futility and a darkened heart. See, what happens when people refuse to acknowledge and depend on God as God 
See, we don't stop worshiping. It's not like we just stop. We simply change the object of our worship. Because humans, in our very nature, we are worshipers. The question isn't, do you worship? But what or whom do you worship? See, idolatry at its core, and this is all speaking to idolatry here. Idolatry is looking to something or someone other than God to give you what only he can give. And so Paul says that that people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Instead of worshiping the true God, the creator, people worship created things rather than the creator. See, we, we were created to worship. We were created to worship him. So if we reject him, we will worship something else because guess what? We all must live for something, right? Everybody, even people that are like, I don't believe any, I'm like, well, what do you live for? There has to be something that our deepest hopes rest upon. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to ask that right now. Where does your deepest hopes and desire, what does it rest upon? What's the drive for you? Whatever thing that is, it's what we worship. It's what we serve. It becomes the thing we cannot live without. And I'm speaking to a lot of Christians as well here. And it becomes this thing that, 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 that defines us. It validates everything we do. And he's saying, man, man exchanged the glory of the true God for these substitute gods. And notice that first on the list of false gods is what? Oh, and 1030, you slept in. Come on. Man, people. Ooh. You see that? That's why we go verse by verse. You can't avoid it. The first on the list of gods is man. Guys, this is fulfilling Satan's purpose all the way to Genesis 3. You guys, the Bible, it operates in these rhythms. It operates, there's a, there's like a, it goes, there's a progression. And all the way from the beginning, this was the temptation, right? Genesis 3, verse 5, for God knows, and this is the, this is Satan talking uh, to Eve, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There it is, number one on that list, right? It's, it, it, it's we're gonna exchange him and here's what throws us off, right? Because we read in the Bible, we're like, I don't have any statues in my house that I bow down to. Or It's like, no, no, no. It's gonna first start with you. It's gonna first start with somebody in your life that you are gonna put in the place of God. But, but usually it, it starts with us, right? And, and, and what we can do, what we can accomplish uh, to the point where I am an idol in my own life, right? Because that very same article was crazy about the, the man who survived that crazy, uh, you know, crash and was on the other side of traffic. He said, uh, there was a higher power. And they're like, wow. And he was like, yes. 
That is a state of mind that you can get. It's like, there it is. There is a higher power, but you have the ability to channel that through your mindset, through what you can do. And so we even in this spot, in this place, when idolatry is happening like this, we even take what God's made, what God's done, and we pass it off as our own, right? I did that. I accomplished that. I thought of that. Instead of man being made in God's image, man made gods in their own image. And then it went downhill from there, right? Worshiping birds, beasts, reptiles. You guys, God created this world. He created uh, all the animals, all these things. Uh, We are right to admire, to enjoy it, to explore God's creation. But the problem comes from giving any created thing my ultimate affection. Paul's saying that, hear that the human heart loves uh, to take and to make good things and turn them into a God. And and, and this exchange in our worship and and service, it undoes the created order. As a result uh, of suppressing the truth, we distort our purpose. We distort uh, our worship. Uh, You guys, you need to understand and know that just the fact that you are a human being, you are uniquely created and made in the image of God. Like you are made to relate to him in this world. You are meant to to reflect his nature and his goodness into the world. You are not just some normal thing with the animals and all that. No, 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 no. You are, are, are so much more. And so stop, stop like, normalizing what God has done, even with you. I mean, Genesis chapter 1, 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Are you kidding? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created man, him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. I mean, are you kidding me? This calling of just being an image bearer of God and I'm called to reflect that and model that and lead in that in in this world? The humanity turns us back on God. And we take those very gifts, those things, and we start to worship them. So we don't worship the creator, we worship the created. And God says, this is the behavior of fools. Paul says their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then in verses 24 and 25, it says, therefore, God gave them up and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Wow. This is how God's wrath is being revealed in the present. And, and this is going to be this reoccurring theme we're going to see next week in the next few uh, verses as well. But uh, you guys, God's judgment on godlessness and this wickedness, you see what it is? It's to give you what you want. It says he gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart. He gave them over to that. That's the wrath. We were all waiting for like fire, for like earthquakes to open up, people to fall. Like that's the wrath. Why? Because God knows a few things, right? He knows that these things that we serve, these things that we put in his place, they're not going to free us. They're going to control us. We're going to get to the point uh, where we have to have them. And since our hearts were literally designed to be centered on God, these things will not satisfy. They're always going to leave me with the feeling of I need more or I need better or I need what's next because it's just not doing it, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, it states, right, God has placed eternity in our hearts. There is a longing, a desire for an almighty, all-powerful, perfect God, eternity with him, and we are trying, trying to figure out how can I essentially replace that feeling with all of these other things? And the reality is you can't replace eternity with anything here. Like, like nothing, there's nothing created that, 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 that will do that. It's always going to leave you longing for more. And, and you guys, we do this all the time. And this isn't just for people that don't believe in God. Christians get caught up in this all the time. Because the lust of our heart, what that means literally is over-desire. It's this all-controlling drive and this longing. See, the main problem of our heart, most of the time, isn't so much that our desires are for bad things, but it's our over-desire for good things. It's our turning of created good things into God's. And the worst thing that can happen to us is that we're given what our hearts are over-desiring. I mean, you just, so many examples. I mean, I mean, take someone who would worship their career. You worship your career. If your career is your driver, if it's what validates you, if it's what inspires and motivates you, uh, then, then I'll tell you what, you serve it. It drives you. It dominates your life. Everything else fits around that. And the worst thing that can happen to somebody in that place is what? Not that they get fired, but that they get promoted. 
Because what does that do? It reaffirms this feeling, this sensation, right? That, 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 I'm, that I'm getting what I want. This feels better. And so I keep wanting and longing for more. And it continues to manipulate me into thinking, if I just get this, uh, forget what's next, I'm going to find what I've been longing for. And that is an over-desire. That is outside of the bounds. That is uh, entering into idolatry because what happens there is then that enables you to forget the wreckage that you're making in light of that uh, all-consuming desire, right? Now, all of a sudden, my marriage, my family, uh, my friendships, my relationship with the Lord, uh, it all is part of the wreckage uh, that is behind me in order to pursue this God. And we see that in so many areas of our lives, right? I mean, we can do this with our kids, right? Where, where all of a sudden my, my kid, my child is absolutely everything. I move, I flow, uh, everything else is on them. My sense of worth, uh, my sense of success or failure, it rests on them. I don't know about you, but after like five days at home with my kids, if you're worshiping your kids, I mean, my, my, I'm like, how do I, I mean, like, you know, I, I wasn't like, oh, you know, but we don't physically do that, but it drives us. All of a sudden, elevate. we can do that in relationships, in our desires, our desire for success and whatever it may be. And it literally leads you on this trail. I, I think one of the, man, one of the prime examples is like, you know, uh, this desire to be married, right? This desire to be married. And I'll tell you what was so sad about that is so often I see uh, this unhealthy over desire for marriage coming from the church, coming from the church. And, 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 I'll, and I'll interact with people and they're like, well, I just need to get married. And I'm like, Really? Like, yeah, I, I know, like, if I just get married, then this will happen or that. And, and, and I go, where, where is that? Well, I know, like, fulfilled and, and all of that. And I'm like, like, who's your favorite author in the Bible? I love Paul. You know that Paul was single? Do you, have you read what he says about being single? What's well, just low hanging fruit here? Jesus. If Jesus said the only, if Jesus thought the only way to be fulfilled, the only way to live a life that really matters is to be married, he probably would have done it. Because he said, follow me, right? But so often I hear this when we put pressure on people like, why aren't you married? And so we have these churches full of people like, well, God's supposed to give me this or I need this. Or, and if I don't have it, then I'm unfulfilled in some way. And, and I, I'm literally like, that is prosperity gospel. That's what that is. It's literally promising that, that if this happens, then all of these other things will happen. No way. And so I try to correct that every chance I get and repent for the times I've placed that on people because you guys... Uh, Man, raising boys, I know more than ever, uh, if they don't get married, whatever, I care more than anything that they would fall in love with Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength. And I know if they do that, that's enough. 
That is the best that can happen in their life, whatever God wants to do with it. And I just feel like we're missing that. And, and so we take all of these things. Is, is desiring to be married bad? No, it's not bad. But it can be an over-desire, can't it? Is desiring to, to get better at your job and grow your career and your portfolio, is it bad? No, but it can quickly become an over-desire. Is trying to prioritize your family a bad thing? No, but it also can become an over-desire. Right? So there's all these things uh, that, that are tempting us. And, and I think what's so dangerous about this is we often assume that when it comes to the wrath of God, that it's going to be very like, it's going to be so visible. And, and, and we're going to know exactly where we're off and where we're uh, not, you know, falling, you know, falling in alignment. And it's going to be a dramatic, like, Steve, this is what you get, right? Like, but here's what we see that is so alarming and we need to be aware of in this culture like no other culture. For God, God's wrath here is to give us over to the pursuit of the things that we've put in his place. In other words, my greatest fear is for me to be putting someone or something in front of God continually while neglecting him, pushing him aside, suppressing truth, and for him to say, okay, Steve, okay, you can have that. That is my greatest fear. And that is why a daily time with the Lord is an essential in your life, where you are daily asking the Lord and going to the Lord, God, is, is there something in front of you right here? God, is there some, someone, something else that, is, that I'm choosing to glorify, uh, to worship that's not uh, of you, that's replaced your seat? God, uh, help me see that because I want to I honor you today. I want to glorify you. Uh, guys, that's why communion is so important here. We do it every week, and it's not, uh, it's not designed to be this, oh, we do it every week thing, but it's designed to be this rhythm uh, that is in our lives because we're told to do it uh, over and over. And, and it's a rhythm that is built in to help me evaluate if there's anything in my heart that's replaced God. Communion forces me to, to reflect on the cross, to reflect on what Christ did for me, and, and, and to ask myself, is there anything in my heart that is not in alignment with who you are. And so it's this incredible opportunity where I get to walk in that and, and allow the Lord to speak. And, and so what we see, you guys, is, is the result of this is the culture we have today, right? Instead of us finding blessing, our sin causes breakdowns spiritually, psychologically, socially, and even physically. And you guys, idolatry to immorality, it's a very short step. And that's where what we do with our bodies comes into play. And that's where next week comes into play. But if humanity is its own God, then it can do whatever it pleases and fulfill their desires without fear of judgment or consequences. And the climax of that battle is when we just all together exchange the truth of God for a lie and abandon truth completely. And that lie, once again, is the same lie from the beginning, that you're your own God. So we choose to worship what I want, what I want to believe, what I want to think, what I want to do, and serve myself 
rather than the creator. And that is the lie all the way since Genesis. And you know what? Scripture warns us, Satan is always trying to get your worship. He's always trying to get it. In fact, in Matthew 4, um, verses 8 through 10, he's trying to get Jesus' worship. Jesus is out in the desert uh, fasting, and he's weak at this point, and, and the devil comes to him, and it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And, and I think the thing that we need to know and understand is that when we're choosing to worship something outside of God, we are choosing to literally participate in demonic worship. Anytime we bring up demons or demonic activity, we, we all like go to the scary movies we've watched, right? And we just assume like all the lights are gonna go out and then we're gonna see something right? Or, or all this. But, but you guys, I am more convinced than ever that the demonic activity uh, is, the success it's having is because it's hidden, because it's socially acceptable. And, and, and Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 22, he's addressing these people who are like, it's no big deal if we have meals with these people for their, uh, for their feast as they worship their, their gods, because those gods aren't even real. And this food, it's not like this food magically becomes something it's not. And, and Paul literally connects that to demon worship. He goes, hold up. In fact, let me, let me read it. He says, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? You guys, the tragedy in all of this is that we choose this for ourselves. We can't blame God for the consequences. God allows us to walk through the door that you've chosen to walk through. You guys, Paul is saying this is the present wrath. We don't even notice it. We don't see it because we're so caught up in it. The only thing is there's this something inside of us that continues to say, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. So we ask, is there any escape, any way back from that? You guys, the way out is to stop suppressing the truth, and to give God your praise. He says this. You guys, this is all an idolatry issue. Desire him more than anything that he's made. Psalm 100, oh my goodness. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. 
It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. We get back to that. You want to come back? That's what you get back to. You stop suppressing the truth. You stop saying, I don't want to read this section. I don't want to deal with that. And you allow the Lord to work and, and you get back to the place where you understand the gospel. And Paul continues to point back to the gospel because I, I tell you right now, the only freedom that you're going to find from this idolatry thing, the only thing that's going to cause you to desire and out is an understanding of the gospel, is an understanding that he's not only our Lord, but he's our savior. He saves us out of this endless, tireless, unfulfilled life. We're, we're led to find true freedom in praising him as Lord. How do we know we've gotten to that place? You guys, I, I, you know when you've gotten to that place, when that's what consumes you is how can I glorify you, God? How can I glorify you today? God, how can I glorify you in this conversation? God, how can I glorify you this evening? This situation is gonna happen, this meeting's happening. Um, and, and it also reveals itself in, in even an eternal mindset, right? What is your motivation for being in heaven? I'll tell you what, if, if we're where we're at with God, our motivation for being in heaven is to be there because God's there. And we wanna be there because we just wanna praise him. And so that is the posture. That's what he's calling us to do. When we think about baptism, right? It's, I want to get baptized because I want to show and tell everyone who I worship. I want, I, want, I want people to see it, that I worship God and God alone. He is my Savior. I want you to know it. And so I get baptized as a reflection, as a demonstration that I've made that decision, right? He, he asks us to. And so we go out there and, and we baptize people, right? And, and it's the image. It's the picture of I was dead to myself. I'm coming out to new life, a new life that only God could give. And that picture of this new birth is I no longer live for me. I live for him. I want to glorify him. I want to praise him because he saved my life. Saved my life. Let's pray.